Hi everyone, welcome to the next episode of the Highbury Hangout podcast. Today we'll be doing a post-match chat on the Leicester game as well as really getting into all the other news surrounding Arsenal as we have entered the international break. So we kept our perfect start to the season going with a 4-0 win over Leicester at the King Power Stadium. So that marks 14 goals and 5 clean sheets so far in the WSL for us. We've spoken about quite a few times the games where we've started slow, not necessarily poorly, just not as intense as our opponents, which has led to either some opponents' goals or just nervy starts, but that really wasn't the case against Leicester. Pretty much as soon as we kicked off, we put a confident display on and Black Sennies actually hit the woodwork in the opening two minutes. But it was Marnham that got the scoreline open and she was also then involved in the second one after driving through the midfield, really patiently waiting for that great pass and making it to Beth Mead who got the ball to Caitlin Ford who just gave it that finishing touch. Then before the break, Steph Catley made it 3-0. The goal came directly from her corner kick, very a la bend it like Steph Catley. Finally, the fourth goal came via a pass from Lotta Weber-Moy to Blackstenius, who rounded the keeper and then finished in an empty goal. Another notable moment was the introduction of 16-year-old Michelle Agumang, who is a lifelong Arsenal fan and has been at the academy since the age of six. For anyone trying to do the maths there, that means she was born in 2006 and she's been at the academy since about 2012. She's been on the bench in the past for the full Arsenal women's team, however this is the first time she made an appearance. I think she put quite a confident display on and I'm really excited to see the younger talent come through. Our initial captain for the game was Jordan Nobbs, followed by then Katie McCabe after Jordan was taken off at about the 17-minute mark. Both players spoke about the huge honour that it is to captain this team. The final moment that I really enjoyed was when Marnham scored and the camera panned to Willie Kirk. So for those of you that don't know, Willie Kirk believed that he had signed Frieda Marnham for Leicester at one point, but obviously she hadn't, she'd signed for Arsenal, so I just thought that was quite good. The game leaves us top of the league now, with a better goal difference finally than all the other teams, so overall that's 18 points won. However, perhaps just as relevant to us as our win was in the WSL, I would argue that the United-Chelsea game held a lot of influence over us and where we will potentially finish at the end of the season, so... For me, this was probably the first litmus test game, and by that I mean one of the bigger challenging teams when they play each other. That's no disrespect to the other teams. I think that WSL just fits quite well, fairly easily into different battles. So you have a few teams battling for the top, then the middle, and then those trying to fight against relegation, and obviously they predominantly are the same teams. So within that, this was the first one of the season and I think a lot of people have suggested that come May United probably weren't going to be at the top spot but ultimately going into the game United were the informed team. However overall I do think this game proved that our real title contending battle will be against Chelsea not Man United and ultimately that's not just because of the maybe slightly odd tactical decisions taken by the United coach but 
in general just the lack of ruthlessness compared to Chelsea especially Sam Kerr and on the topic of Manchester United they are of course our next game in the WSL once we return from international break the game will be at the Emirates and I believe we've sold just over 30,000 tickets at this stage but tickets are of course still available of the Gunners that are in action in the November international break, we have Manuel Zinsberger and Laura Weinrother for Austria go up against Italy on November 11th. They're the first kickoff of our Arsenal Stars. Then the next kickoff is Leo Volti and Noel Maritz of Switzerland against Denmark. The next game would be Mana Iwabuchi, who will actually face England and fellow Gunners, Beth Mead and Lotta Moy. Iwabuchi will then also play Spain on the 15th. Freedom Arnhem's Norway plays France and then England a few days later. So again, they'll be meeting up with the Arsenal players. Then Blacksonius and Lena Hertig were called up for Sweden. However, Lena has had to pull out due to the injury that she picked up against Leicester. Blacksonius, however, will go on to meet Australia, who called up Catley and Ford. And finally, Katie McCabe's Island will face Morocco on the 14th. We were, of course, expecting to see Jordan Nobbs play for the Lionesses. However, she got to the camp and then as a precaution, due to a knock she picked up in the Leicester game, has pulled out. So we won't be seeing her. Hopefully the international break will give her some good time to rest it as it doesn't sound that serious. Considering our other injuries, while we've not had a direct update from Arsenal themselves, we have had some news from a pretty reliable journalist source. So Kim Little is supposedly out for 10 weeks and Leah Williamson will hopefully be back next month. In a lot more positive and exciting news, it's been revealed that Beth Mead has won the 2022 BBC Women's Footballer of the Year Award and in addition to that accolade, her book has been released and is available to buy. We will also be doing a kind of meet and greet slash signing at the Armoury and more details on that can be found on arsenal.com. So obviously a really exciting opportunity. The final thing that I wanted to discuss as we head into a period of the Men's World Cup in Qatar well, there's of course been some really I think interesting comments from some of our Arsenal players on how they feel about the event. So Lotte Moy, Beth Mead and Kate McCabe have all said that they will not be watching the World Cup. Lotte Moy in particular said it was a tough decision but it's based on their human rights record particularly to do with homosexuality, women and migrant workers rights. Beth Mead, along similar lines, said that she will not be backing or promoting the World Cup at all. Finally, Kate McCabe was asked if she would be watching it, promoting the World Cup in any form when she was in a previous camp for Ireland. And she said, I won't have time to watch it, to be honest. We're straight back into Champions League football. And for me, if Ireland aren't in it, I don't really fancy it. So I think I'll be giving that one a miss. Then she goes on to say, but look, it's a fickle thing that what's going on over there and the whole background behind it. Obviously, what's going on over there isn't a good look for football, but the decision has been made. She goes on to say, the World Cup will continue and hopefully there won't be bad news stories around it. It will just be football played and that will be it. 
World Cup is a massive stage. Obviously, Harry Kane wearing a rainbow R-band will be massive and I think it will be it will raise visibility on the key issues that are in Qatar right now. I hope other nations do that too and take a stand while playing the games. So for those who aren't aware, there are of course a whole host of human rights issues in Qatar in relation specifically to the World Cup. So in terms of migrant rights, workers' rights, those who built the stadiums were not given a fair wage whatsoever, with many of them earning just under a pound an hour. And then also many of them died while working in the stadiums due to like the unsafe conditions. And then additional to that, their families weren't given compensation after those deaths and those sorts of things. Then in relation to homosexuality, it's currently banned in Qatar based on their laws and can be punishable by death. For women in Qatar, the laws guarantee the right to equal pay for Qatari men and women, but women quite often don't receive this. They also struggle to obtain high-level posts in private companies and the public sector, even though more than half of all college graduates are women. There is also no specific law prohibiting gender discrimination in the workplace. Interestingly, so there are Qatari female ambassadors, judges and ministers, include and race jockeys. The Emir's mother um, is one of the most famous women in the Arab world and she's in a region where rulers, wives and mothers often keep a low profile for various reasons, but she has been known to advocate for social causes. However, the country for years has sat quite near the bottom of the World Economic Forum's Global Gender Gap Report, which tracks gaps between women and men in employment, education, health and politics. In particular, one of the issues for women is given that their laws linked to Wahhabism and Sharia. This means that quite often the Qatari legal system discriminates against women, particularly when it comes to their freedom of movement, issues of marriage, child custody and inheritance. So for example, women can inherit property but daughters receive half as much as sons and then men can easily divorce their wives while women must apply to courts from a narrow list of acceptable grounds. Something else that I found really interesting is the women's game in Qatar, which maybe you'll all be interested in as well, given that this is a women's football podcast, obviously specific to Arsenal. But I think most of us are interested in the progression of the game overall. So it's reported that about 20 years ago, there was not one place in Qatar that could cater to young women who wanted to play football. But today, there are a few, so progress has been really slow, but that it is definitely encouraging signs. So there are reportedly quite a lot of young girls who play football in Qatar. Obviously, this is very relative and will be a much smaller number than I think we could probably expect from, say, England, especially following the Euros. But it's a very, very leaky pipeline, so many girls stop playing as they get older, and probably one of the main reasons for this is the lack of access to suitable football facilities that are in line with their need for privacy. And then on the national front, the women's national team were launched to a really big fanfare and that was part of Qatar's World Cup bid in 2010, but they've not actually played a single competitive fixture since 2014 and there is a huge lack of access to the team, especially by foreign media. 
In a Metro news article by Kate Mason in that was released in the 28th of September 2022, she spoke to a Qatari woman and she said that she didn't play with the national team because the standard is so low as there is no regular training and it isn't taken seriously. She goes on to say that she does not believe the World Cup has had any impact on women getting to play football in the country and doesn't think the national team exists in any meaningful sense. One reason for this is no one can cover it. In the article, she also discusses how a lot of the games can't be recorded due to the privacy laws and also just general cultural feelings. Um, But then obviously this can mean that it's really hard to scout any of these players. So you can see some really multi-layered issues developing for the women's game in in Qatar. So while some younger girls do appear to be playing somewhat regular football, that ends quite quickly and the national team doesn't really exist in a genuine sense, sadly. But what is everyone else's take? You know, are you in the same boat as Beth and Lotta? Um, Will you be watching it as a way to support those that are spreading the message? You know, we talk about Harry Kane wearing the rainbow armband and things like that. Or will you be sitting this one out? Let me know. I know that that kind of took a slightly non-Arsenal verge, but I think it's a really, really important topic to talk about, so I thank you for staying with me. Our next game, of course, is after the international break against Manchester United, so you can expect a pre-match chat on that on the podcast, as well as some probably TikTok videos, which, if you don't follow me on there, is just the Highbury Hangout, and I have kind of the same logo as the podcast, so you should be able to spot me fairly easily. Thank you for listening, everyone. Bye.